Hello and welcome to Future Curious from Nesta, the podcast that predicts the future by talking to those who are creating it. I'm Tiernan Duyeb, and as you might be able to hear, I'm not at Nesta Towers today on the 24th of October, uh, because I'm very excited to be at the Barbican for the Future Fest Late event all about the future of storytelling. Everyone loves a good story, don't they? From your classic myths to gripping thrillers, all the way to social media threads and that trashy magazine article about a ghost eating someone's cat. Throughout history, good yarns have provided us with knowledge, enjoyment and escapism, but also ways to understand and imagine what our futures might be. Shelley's Frankenstein predicted transplants, HG Wells accurately wrote about the atomic bomb years before it was created, and a lot of people at the moment like to mention how George Orwell and Margaret Atwood got some parts of 2019 pretty spot on. But storytelling has evolved. It's no longer just gathering around a campfire to tell tales of ancestors, gods, and um, ghost-eating cats. It's now audio, ebooks, computer games, and so much more. But what technologies and innovations in the future are going to make sure storytelling lives happily ever after? Well, that's what today's event is exploring. Futurefest Lates, which was described by podcast from episode one, Steve Cross, as... We've basically got too many ideas to fit into one day, so they are spilling out throughout the year. And the idea of a Future Fest late is you get a miniature Future Fest experience. You get some experts talking about the future. You get a performance of something artistic or cultural that links up with our future themes. There are installations that you can interact with and be part of. So this event does very much all of that and more. And if you aren't lucky enough to join us, then don't worry, because in this episode, I'll be talking to some of the amazing storytellers taking part. You'll get to hear a bit of the panel discussion. We'll discuss the new Alternatives Prize, and I'm going to have a go at an immersive experience about stealing fish. But that's not the fin, <clears throat> as I don't want to ruin the ending for you. But after all of that, there's also a little discount for Future Fest 2020 tickets too. So I hope wherever you are, you're sitting comfortably and we'll begin. Joining us today is writer and critic Olivia Lang, near-future author Stephen Oram, and writer and game developer Shella Ramanan. Hello, everyone. Thanks very much for joining us. Very excited about your panel discussion. But before we go to that, I wanted to ask, why is talking about the future of storytelling an important conversation for us to be having today? Olivia. Wow. Um, <laughs> why is it? Well, I think... If we don't keep reinventing the way we tell stories, then we're in danger of losing them. We're in danger of losing the audiences that we speak to. And we need to constantly be finding new forms to write into the future and to tell the stories of what it's like to live right now for a future audience. Does the way that people sort of engage with stories and the way people listen to stories change then? I think it's changed drastically, but I think it can keep changing. And I also think sometimes there are ways that things change technologically that can be resisted in interesting ways. So I don't think we necessarily have to go with the flow of the future. I think our participation in it can be in all sorts of different ways. It can be antagonistic too. Sure. Um, Stephen? Yeah, I mean, stories have been around forever, haven't they? So stories are just really important to us as humans, I think. And I don't think that will ever, ever change. But, of course, the way we, the way we take in information, the way we are entertained changes as technology changes, as culture changes, and, and so on. So to keep it nice and contemporary and interesting and entertaining will keep those stories alive, which is a good thing. And uh, Shella? Yeah, I think it's really interesting that technology and the way we engage with stories changes, but sometimes you get a sort of 
a nostalgia kick and so there's been a resurgence in tabletop role-playing gaming for instance and telling stories around a table in a room together as opposed to on massively multiplayer online games or things like that so I think it's quite interesting the way that we engage with technology and then sometimes kick back against it. Right that's uh, yeah there's something sort of nostalgic about that I guess. Yeah. yeah. And a comfort to uh, yeah. hear, hearing things or, or experiencing things in a way that you might have used to do. Yes, exactly. And the way that we always have as humans in a space together, face to face, looking at each other's sort of, you know, sort of crying at the sad bits and laughing at the funny bits. Um, so all of you uh, are storytellers in, in different ways, which is absolutely, it's, it's such a fascinating combination of people. Um, uh, Olivia, you write in real time or you wrote uh, Crudo in real time. And what does that bring to a narrative? And, and what, what exactly does real time mean? Well, I wrote it literally just every single day, several times a day, recording it in an unedited way because I wanted it to be as raw as possible, a kind of snapshot of the summer of 2017 when we were in all kinds of political crisis. And that was partly to do with Twitter. It's really a Twitter narrative. And, you know, when you're in a moment where the president of the United States is threatening nuclear war on Twitter, as a storyteller, you kind of want to pay attention to that medium. So that idea that we're all being drenched in this 24-7 narrative... I wanted to kind of record what that felt like, but also, again, really kind of seize it back and put myself back into it, put, put a sort of world of the vulnerable people that were being the subjects of it back into the frame. That felt important. I really enjoyed reading it, and it definitely sort of has an intensity and a pace to it when it's read out. I know my head sort of felt like I was having to read it almost at speeds at times because it, it feels very now. And is that, is that part of the intention? Absolutely. But, I mean, that's my feeling of what that summer was like, is it was just crazy. Things got faster and faster. And when I read it back now, I'm like wow, did those two things happen on the same day? Like, okay, that was it's very hard weird to believe, time. isn't it? <laughs> um, and, and Stephen, you write about the near future. So what? how far ahead in the future would the near future be and how do you define that when you're writing about it? So I, I think it depends. Anything up to about 50 years, I'd say. But things change really fast, um, as Olivia was saying. And, and sometimes it feels like it's about five minutes into the future. So I, there was some shop recently that had said, you know, sci-fi is now in current affairs, which is, <laughs> you know. So what I try to do is sort of prod and poke around a little bit with what the future might look like, but set it in worlds that are sort of very easy to grasp and believable, but just shoving it that little bit further. Michelle, what do you think is uh, special about the way that people tell stories in games and then also the audience absorb them? What's special? Well... I suppose the thing is games, they're always changing the way they tell stories. It moves really fast and we're kind of learning as we go along because we are, you know, just less than 50 years old. So we haven't really got our own language. We've borrowed a lot from cinema. So we use cinema because we know that everybody understands that sort of visual vernacular. And um, so we engage that way. But we're trying to find our own way of telling stories. And I suppose the way gamers engaged, it really depends on the game, the genre of the game, whether it's a linear, a linear story that everyone experiences in the same way. Um, you know, they talk to all the NPCs, all the non-player characters. They see every beat of the story. Or if it's an open-world game, then there's lots of writing that, um, you know, narrative designers might do that lots of 
people might not actually see. And then there's ways of engaging with games and creating your own narratives with sort of just the tools that the developers give you. Yeah, so there's lots of different ways. So Sorry. also it depends on what the what the game is going to become as to how you approach it, whether or not it's in a kind of more traditional author way with the story first. Or yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Brilliant. Thank you all so much for joining me. And we'll be hearing more from Olivia, Stephen and Shella later as part of tonight's panel hosted by Nesta's B. Carol Burks. Now come with me and we'll take a peek at some of the installations here at Future Fest Late. Next up, we have Exploded Stories. No, there hasn't been an accident at the library. That's the name of the collection of five installations here at Future Fest Late, designed and built by master's students at the Royal College of Arts. All of them are exploring different and exciting ways to tell stories, and as you'll hear, it's not so much about the stories themselves, but as the old adage goes, it's the way you tell them. Hi, my name is Zohar. My work is named Progenesis. And what it is, it's actually an interactive mirror on a dresser. And when the viewer approaches the dresser, at the, there's an animation that appears in the mirror. And they watch it. And if they go away, the animation disappears. Basically, it's an interactive mirror. So basically, I wanted to make a story about time. And then that's how I kind of got to the idea of uh, plucking out your eyebrows as this movement that is repetitive and never ends because there's always another hair to pluck. So I made this surreal story about a woman that's plucking out her eyebrows and each time she, she evens it uh, the other side until there's only one hair left and then she struggles to pluck it out. And it goes on for a while until she manages to pluck it out and then uh, her whole face rips off and out of her head comes out the creation of the world. Uh, so then I was thinking of how I can present the story and I decided to create an actual mirror that when you sit in front of it, it kind of uh, immerses you uh, inside of it. Uh, you feel like you're the character and I put the actual tweezers that the character uses as one of the objects there and some other objects that are kind of, they're hinting about the end of the story. They're symbolizing Genesis there was a, a book about uh, mythology, Greek mythology, and a perfume at DKNY, Donakar, New York, which is an apple-scented perfume. It looks like an apple, symbolizing the apple from the Genesis story. And a necklace uh, that has like a, an image of the galaxy inside. I had some interesting reactions to my piece. So people assumed that because they're in front of a mirror and there is a character in front of them, that they can interact with her. So they were trying to, to hold the tweezers in front of it and try to move it because they were expecting the character to move with them, but then it didn't, but they thought maybe it does. So they were kind of moving a bit weirdly with it. And I thought it just interesting the way that usually the mirror is mimicking you, but in that case, they were trying to mimic the character. So it was just interesting seeing that. And they actually, even when the whole thing was finished and they got up of the chair and came over, they were still not sure if they actually did something by sitting there and moving like the book or moving the tweezers. So yeah, it was funny to watch. Hi, my name is Anna and I was um, uh, presenting a work tonight that I called uh, Thread Singing Voices. It's a tactile tapestry 
which is a piece of woven fabric with electroconductive threads. So when you touch it, it reacts to touch by playing an audio recording uh, as part of a poem. So it's a poem divided in uh, several parts and the audience interacts with this uh, poem by selecting, well, you choose which part of the narrative and you build it up yourself when you are touching it. My name is uh, Olfa Farhat and my work was called Story of Burning Desire and it's uh, exploring museum experience and the way we interact with uh, museum pieces and I'm telling the story of uh, a Greek mosaic uh, which can be found in the uh, Bardo Museum in Tunisia and exploring a little bit how the audience interacts with the piece and how they can explore the colors and the shapes uh, by moving around uh, toggles and touching uh, pieces of conductive ink and pieces of acrylic that they move around the board. So it's basically about the interaction and exploration of experiences and how we can see differently cultural heritage pieces using interaction and nonlinear storytelling. My name is uh, Kenneth Lim and the work that I created is called 10,000. And the story it's based on is about the story of uh, nuclear waste disposal in the U.S. So back in the 1970s, the U.S. Department of Energy, they have a bunch of nuclear waste that is a result of all the nuclear testing and also the nuclear reactor development that they did. And so they're thinking of a way to get rid of this nuclear waste. And what they did is they decided to bury it in a particular site. And... One problem that they have is how do they signpost that particular site as uh, dangerous for 10,000 years. So one of the challenge with that is that in 10,000 years time, the language that we use now is going to be completely different. And so the piece that I created is basically a uh, projection of the story in written form. And you also have a touch interface, which is basically a, a row of symbols on a piece of board. So the projection on the screen will gradually corrupt. Uh, as it corrupts, the text on the screen will become unreadable over time. And to be able to read the story, to be able to understand the story, you have to touch the touch interface. As you touch it, the story kind of reverts back to its original form so that you can read it. So it's kind of creating the idea that you have to engage with a message to be able to pass it down through time. You can't just write it down in one place and expect someone 10,000 years in the future to still be able to understand your message. In my piece, there is kind of different proposals that the US Department of Energy kind of source for. And one of the proposal is uh, it's about bioluminescence cat. So the idea is to genetically engineer bioluminescence cat that illuminates when they're near radiation sources. So when people see these uh, glowing cats, they will just run away. And so like some of the audience, a couple of the audience, they, um, they have different response to what, what is expected. Hello, my name is Akvile Termenaita. My piece is called Wonder. It is a story about childlike curiosity and the origin of stars. So... The piece is made out of two objects that sit on a table and it's a big black sphere and an awl placed next to it. So if you approach, you'll see an animation inside the sphere, which is about a very bored child who is wondering about life and creation. 
And the inspiration for that piece came from me being interested in boredom and its effect on the creative process, but also how we build knowledge and empirical evidence that plays in there. My name is uh, Dimitris Menexopoulos, and I'm a composer and sound designer, and I was uh, Agvila's collaborator in her piece uh, titled Wonder. The way I approached her work was by doing some um, traditional linear sound design uh, with some uh, minor uh, music elements uh, incorporated as well and uh, tried to bind the whole uh, animation together and contribute to its flow. Thank you to the master students at the Royal College of Arts. Engaging young people with stories is a particular challenge for storytellers, as reading rates for those aged 11 to 16 are at an all-time low. But gaming has overtaken books and music for that age group, so it's clearly not an unwillingness to hear stories. It might just be that we're trying to tell them to young people in the wrong format. Launching today at the Future of Storytelling event is a brand new open prize from Nesta called Alter Narratives. It aims to re-engage youth with reading. And to tell us more about it, I'm joined by Director of Arts Programmes and Investments at Nesta, Fran Sanderson. Hello, Fran. So how low are reading rates for 11 to 16-year-olds and why has it dropped? Well, yeah, I, was, I would say they're quite low and they're decreasing, which is the troubling thing. And from children aged 8 to 16, they do enjoy reading. About 59% of them enjoy reading. But between the age groups, so if you look at the 8 to 11, then the 11 to 14 and the 14 to 16 group, that's a really steep decline. So only around 29% of kids who are 14 to 16 enjoy reading. And only 44.1% of all those children across the age group think reading is cool, which is terrible. A sizable percentage agree they can't find things to read that interest them. So that's 33.7%. Or they read only when they have to, which is 30%. Students also feel a little bit that there's no value in reading because the rise of emphasis on STEM subjects means that literature is a little bit overlooked. Right, so what is the key to re-engaging with reading and how do we make kids think that reading is cool again? Because it definitely is cool. Well, that's part of what we're trying to find out with this project. I mean, you know, we're doing this because we don't know the answer. There's a lot of research that says that online social is pulling people away from reading. Can we bridge that gap with some kind of new content that we're creating? Having access to resources and having books of their own has a massive impact on children's attainment. A really important factor in developing reading for pleasure is choice. So choice and interest are highly related. So if we can create interesting content that people choose to read, then hopefully that will be a massive thing towards re-engaging the kids with reading. Brilliant. So how does Alter Narratives work? What is the criteria? Who can enter? And very importantly, what's the prize? So prize, let's start with that. It's quite a big prize. It's £15,000. And prior to that, we'll have an R&D phase. So what we're going to do is we've got an open call. We'll review all the submissions in January 2020. We're going to do a kind of first pass, and then we'll take the best of those to a youth panel. So a panel of 11 to 16-year-olds who will select the 10 stories that they think are most worth development. We will then give each of those an R&D bursary, and they'll have a three-month period with some workshops to work up their idea At the end of that period, so at June 2020, we'll look at those 10 submissions, final submissions, and we'll pick a winner for the £15,000 prize. I should qualify that it's not young writers we're looking for. This is over 18s only in terms of the writers and creatives. And it is open to anyone in the UK. And we're really keen to see just the widest possible selection of entries. And so where does anyone who's interested in entering need to go to find out more? So if you look on the Nest website and find the Alter Narratives project page, that will have all our terms and conditions and our frequently asked questions. You can also find the email address to email us and ask us directly. 
Thanks, Fran. Um, so get thinking about how you might engage a young person with reading again and get entering. And no, gluing pages of books to their screen while they play the latest game definitely isn't advised. What's the best way to engage someone in a story? That's right, to make them part of it. Performance artist, theatre maker and game developer David Finnegan is creating an immersive show for Futurefest in March, all about the future of the natural environment, looking at conservation, rewilding, extinction, zoos and much more. Luckily, he's previewing a little bit of it here at Futurefest late, called Break Into the Aquarium, Steal the Fish, and I'm going to be in the audience taking part. I hope we all manage to steal those fish and the title isn't just a red herring. Here we go. Hello. Hello. First things first, uh, the year is 2072 and we are in a safe house on the outskirts of the city. Someone sneaks into the safe house and reaches down and places a bomb under the bed. They carefully set the timer and then the shadowy figure slips out the window just as the door opens and two lovers step inside, arms around each other, gazing into each other's eyes. They kiss each other and then madly making out, they fall on the bed. More kisses, more kisses, oblivious to anything. And then one of the lovers pauses and says, can you hear that? Yeah, yeah, I can. Like a like a faint ticking sound. They look under the bed and oh shit. Now, this is what the bomb looks like. And luckily, it's possible to diffuse it. All the lovers have to do is pick the right colored cable to cut. Now they need to pick the cable that crosses over one color five times and the other color four times. The way we're gonna do this is, uh, you're all going to work together, but you are going to make a final decision on which colour you want to cut. And you're going to decide by slipping this into the envelope. So you can talk to each other. Yep, you, you can talk to each other. You have all the time in the world, so don't feel stressed or pressured. You're looking for the coloured cable that crosses over one colour five times and the other colour four times. Don't feel pressured at all. Okay, now, now start to feel pressured. Now. <laughs> Fantastic, okay, thank you. So, one of the lovers leans forward and with an intense look in their eye, they take a knife and cut one of the cables. And we'll see what happens there in a moment. Is it more interesting to rip it in half, halfway and leave it hanging? The end. No moral. Okay, so I just snuck outside after seeing David Finnegan's um, fantastic, immersive piece. Um, it was very funny, it was very thought-provoking. Um, it wasn't interactive in the way I thought it was going to be. Uh, it was absolutely fascinating. And I don't want to spoil anything, but I'm now very itchy, and I think Walruses in Brighton might be a brilliant thing. I'm very, very excited to see what happens with the full show at Futurefest in March.
Okay, so we met Chella, Stephen and Olivia earlier in the show, but now let's take a listen to the panel discussion from tonight's event, hosted by Nesta's own B. Carol Burks, where she began by asking them all about real-time storytelling. Now for our third and final act this evening, uh, I'm joined by some very special guests to discuss the future of storytelling. Shello, I'm going to start with you, but I'd like you all to um, dig into this one. What does storytelling mean to you and how do you do it? It means to me, I think it's about reaching people. So in your space, uh, crafting your story, your narrative, and then somehow that you put it out there into the world. I mean, some people don't. They write stories and they don't go anywhere. They just do it for themselves. But the ones I do go out into the world and somehow they touch someone you've never met, may never meet, and that's an incredible thing. I th I hadn't come across the term narrative designer right. before uh, I met you. Mm -hmm. um, can you tell us a bit about actually what that means and how you work? Okay, yeah, so narrative designer works in video games. It's a video game title. And uh, it's different from, we also have writers. So the, I work on the narrative team for Ubisoft Massive. And we have a lead writer, but then we have narrative designers. So the narrative designer looks at the game as a whole in terms of gameplay. And so gameplay is how you interact, how you use the mechanics within the game. So whether you're, I don't know, jumping on mushrooms like Mario, that's a gameplay mechanic, or whether you're shooting people or flying a ship or something. So Stephen, what does storytelling mean to you? Do they yeah. ever think that you've had a better idea about the science than they have? <laughs> so the, the one I, I really like is uh, I went to see Bristol Robotics Laboratory who showed us loads of absolutely brilliant stuff. Two things, there was one, there was a pair of trousers that basically helped people stand up who couldn't stand on their own and they also had robots powered by urine. So I put those two together. Did everyone hear that? Robots powered, powered by, by urine. By, by we. There was not enough of a kind of... <laughs> yeah. 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 Everyone took it in their stride. Fine. Go on. <laughs> so we, we ended up with pea-powered pyjamas for this old lady in the story, and they'd never thought of putting those two together. Now, well, whether it's actually practically possible, I, I don't know. Can't wait to you come in at a different future. angle, so you do... I think you do see things. And, and also, often, they're trying to solve one particular tiny problem. Yeah. So actually taking them out mm. of that mm. is actually mm. where the real benefit is, as well as uh, mm -hmm. uh, piss-powered pyjamas. <laughs> <laughs> You've branded it already. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, TM. Um, Olivia, what does storytelling mean to you? Oh, God, I mean, I feel, I feel a bit fraudulent. When I started out as a journalist and my first editor said to me, Olivia, you have no grasp of what makes a story. And I think <laughs> there is an element of truth in that. I mean, I make books, definitely, out of real lives, real things that happen, but they're not sort of propelled by that plot-based... I'm really bad at plot, mm. I'm actually really bad at dialogue as well. But what I'm interested in doing is, like, collaging together different things, so going deep into real people's lives and answering larger questions about the world through that. So that's what I feel like I do, even with the fiction that I've been writing recently. It's still got those sort of... I cheat. I take what's happening in the world around me. It always seems more interesting than anything I could possibly invent, much more chaotic and crazy. And so with Crudo, with real-time fiction, with near-future storytelling, what is it that storytelling does to help us 
with this chaotic present? That is a good question. To, to help us. I mean, I think... Maybe it doesn't help us. I think it does. I think it's an intervention yeah. into the chaos. I think art makes a space in which time moves differently. It moves faster, it moves slower, and it's a way to... I mean, it feels like being in a spin cycle all the time at the moment, on Twitter, on the news, and I think art is somewhere where you can just dislodge yourself from that and you can <coughs> reconnect with what your values are, with what your sense of how things should be. I mean, it's also entertainment, but I think those larger things are happening too. Yeah, I mean, I think you can... It sort of takes you... It enables you to imagine what it might be like so you can sort of take those risks, you can think about if I was that character, if that was happening mm -hmm. to me. It's yeah. that, it's, you know, it's yeah. play in, mm -hmm. in, in a lot of ways, isn't it? And, and when something's very chaotic or, or quite scary, it's sort of easier to imagine somebody else in that mm -hmm. situation uh, mm -hmm. than yourself. Mm -hmm. So I think, I think the near future stuff can do that really well. And Shannon, yeah. do you see that come through in video games? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, completely, it's sort of... <laughs> power fantasy escapism a lot of the time and I suppose it falls into that idea of you know horror and theme park rides and you know having a safe space to like see the horror that sort of sort of gothic idea of the sublime and you know looking into the face mm. of the horror but knowing it's a safe place mm. within a narrative. And Shella do you put a lot of yourself into your computer games? Well, I make them, so that's <laughs> kind of, yeah, you have to. Yeah, there is always a bit of you in there. And, and when people are playing them, how much of themselves are they putting in that? Oh, gamers. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, for the indie project that I'm working on, my side project, Before I Forget, which is about a woman with dementia, yeah, it's quite startling how moved people are because they have someone, their wife has dementia or they have memory problems themselves or their grandparents, you know. What, and what prompted you to start making that game? I just am quite interested in memory and what it means to us and what happens when you take someone's memories away. Who are they then once that's gone because they're still a person but yeah so that was where that started from that was the inspiration and what can putting that into a computer game do that maybe writing a story couldn't well I think what we tried to do with before I forget is because you always say games are immersive so you know and they're mm. interactive but you are literally walking around this woman's house and she can't remember where the bathroom is for instance um, so you, every door you open takes you back to the same place. And, you know, that's something that you experience that in a completely different way in a game than you would if you were watching wow. a film yeah. or reading a book. Yeah. Um, there's something visceral about that. And gamers like to win. They like to... And so that's really playing with a sense of frustration, which usually you How try to avoid. How do you win at dementia? Yeah, exactly, yeah. you don't. And so when they don't make it to the toilet in time... They're like, oh, like, how do you, how do I, did I do it wrong? And I'm like, no, that's just dementia. That's okay. Yeah. Um, what sort of storytelling are you excited about right now? So I, I come across artificial intelligence writing stories, uh -huh. right, and they're rubbish. <laughs> but but yes. one of the things I've been doing, so there's a there's an art, there's something called Transformer where you can. 
basically you give it some text and it carries on and completes the text. So I've been doing something with that where I give it some text, it does something, I then give it some more text to try and uh, try and create a story. And it, I'm not sure if it works or not. But as AI gets more sophisticated, I think what I'm interested in is being nudged into thinking in ways I wouldn't normally have thought of when writing. Right. By a non-human interpretation of what's going on. So, Do you uh, ever feel really inspired by it? Do you look at it and go, God, I wish I thought of that? I, no, no, not, no. <laughs> Safe to, to, now. to be honest, but, but you know, it's, it's really, really early days, isn't it? Shella, what are you excited about? Um, I'm going to be a complete game narrative designer person. I'm just excited about because games are so young and we're still figuring stuff out, even within our narrative team. We're like, you know, how do we do this? How, how do you have an open world experience, which means that you don't have a linear story? Um, how do you write that story in that space? Um, give the player agency, but still give them an engaging story. So in open world, you're just giving them a space to sort of play in, but you also have to engage them. So, you know, it's a problem. I mean, there are whole genres that games don't really do, like romance, like a rom-com, for instance, oh. which is like stock and trade and other... We all need to start playing more video games, is what I'm going to say from that. <laughs> um, Olivia? I'm excited by this really cutting-edge technology called painting. <laughs> um, I have to, you know, honestly, I'm just about to finish a book and I'm really writing about the painting of the 60s, but there's something about that storytelling with nothing, storytelling that's one stopped frame, that's it, and how much can be locked into that. I think there's something very exciting in a world where everything's moving very fast, to absolutely stop and think about how much you can hold in a moment. So that is kind of... Painting is blowing my mind, guys. <laughs> real time to sort of stop time. That's wonderful. Um, could you please give the panel and our performers today a round of applause? Thank you so much. But what did the audience think of that riveting discussion and where do they think the future of storytelling is heading? Let's go find out. Yeah, it was thought-provoking, I guess. I, if I want to be engaged in the future, do I have a choice? <laughs> I loved it. I thought it was really, really interesting. Some really interesting points were being brought up, things I'd never thought about before, about the nature of storytelling, how gaming is also a storytelling form, which I'd never thought about before. I'm personally not a gamer. So that was quite enlightening. Looking at flash fiction and AI, um, stuff about... Sci-fi, yeah, and um, eco-activism as well. And the performance was great. I really, really enjoyed the um, snippet of David's work. That was really brilliant. I was particularly interested in the gaming lady that talked about gaming and stories because I know nothing about gaming, so that was quite interesting. Well, like all the best stories, I think you can agree that was truly epic. Thank you so much to our guests Olivia Lang, Stephen Oram, Shella Ramanan, all the master students at the Royal College of Arts, David Finnegan and the audience members who happily gave their views on such an excellent and thought-provoking evening. But of course, it would be remiss of a Nesta podcast on the future of storytelling to not have a happy ending. So if you enjoyed this episode, then you will love the big Future Fest event at Tobacco Dock in East London on 20th of March 2020. And as a Future Curious listener, by using the discount code CURIOUS at futurefest.org, you can get £10 off your tickets. 
Next week, we'll be asking if prevention is better than cure and how we can get better at treating the causes of ill health, which I think you'll find, like today's show, is yet another novel concept. Future Curious, bringing bold ideas to life and straight into your ears. Bye.